You're listening to Current with Valerie Hayes. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking about money and issues that impact the economy. And this year, both employees and businesses alike are actively discussing the impact of possible increases to state and federal minimum wage laws. As of January 2015, 29 states, 29 states, plus the District of Columbia, had set up their minimum wage above the federal level of $7.25 an hour. And this year, lawmakers in 13 states and cities, including California, New York, and Washington, D.C., have proposed legislation and ballot measures calling for a $15 minimum. $15 minimum, which is more than double the current federal minimum wage. Well, my next guest is a partner with the law firm of Kennedy Hodges LLP, and his practice focuses on wage and hour, class and collective actions, as well as complex personal injury cases. He's listed as one of the top 100 lawyers in employment law by the National Advocates and one of the top 40 lawyers under the age of 40 in Texas by the National Trial Trial Lawyers Association. And he's also been recognized as a rising star by the Super Lawyers publication every year since 2012 and as one of the top lawyers in Houston, Texas by Houstonian Magazine. Please help me welcome to the show Don Fody. Hi, Don. Hi, how are you? Great. It's so nice for you to be here. I really appreciate your taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Well, my pleasure. So let's go back to the basics of state and federal minimum wage. Why do... Why are there both state and federal minimum wage laws? Why do they both exist? So the federal minimum wage was enacted as part of the New Deal legislation back in the 40s uh, in response to the Great Depression. And so the purpose of it was to enact a minimum standard, uh, um, a minimum standard that employers have to pay workers. Now, the federal law, again, is, is, is essentially a floor. And so states are allowed to enact um, minimum wages higher than the federal minimum wage. They just can't go below it. And so that's what you've seen is you have, I think, as you correctly mentioned, there are 29 states that have enacted minimum wages that are higher than the federal minimum wage. But that leaves, you know, approximately 21 states where the minimum wage is still just the federal minimum of $7.25 per hour. So would it be fair to say that originally minimum wage laws were passed to prevent employers from maybe being the only employer in town, and because they're the only employer in town, they're able to pay really, really low wages that might actually not be a living wage? Yeah, and I think I think that's, that's true, is that what we saw – um, was that employers were paying employees very low wages, wages that they couldn't live on, wages they couldn't support their families. And so Congress said, okay, this isn't a way for us to have a healthy economy. We have to set up a minimum standard that employers can't pay less than this, and that minimum standard will be the federal minimum wage. Now, there's nothing to stop an employer from paying more than that, and there's nothing to stop a state from enacting, uh, passing an ordinance or its own state law that uh, requires employers to pay more than that. But the federal minimum wage was Congress's way of saying, look, you can't pay workers less than this. Now, the reality is it still happens um, that there are still employers that do end up paying less than the minimum wage to workers. And that's why there are class action and collective action lawsuits against uh, companies 
every day nationwide where employers still fail to pay the minimum wage to its to its employees. Which is obviously why they contact you, so you can win big cases for them. Um, so how right? How does the federal minimum wage go up? How is it increased? Uh, it's it's Congress that goes and makes an amendment to the law. And um, the last amendment was in 2007. And prior to 2007, the minimum wage was about $5.15 per hour. And then Congress said, hey, that, that's really low. Uh, so Congress said, you know, in 2007, let's, let's pass a graduated increase to the minimum wage to where it is right now at $7.25. But um, just something to think about is if you look at what the minimum wage was when the Fair Labor Standards Act first came out, and the Fair Labor Standards Act is the federal law that establishes the federal minimum wage. And so if you look at what it was back in the 40s and then you adjust it up for inflation, that should put the federal minimum wage at around $50 an hour. But since the minimum wage hasn't kept up with inflation, it's at about $7.25 per hour. So that kind of that, that gives you something to think about, that if that essentially the minimum wage back in the 40s was X dollars, the equivalent of that is about $50 per hour, you know, that is some, you know, suggestion that the minimum wage is, is too low right now. So the states that are looking to pass laws that establish their own floor, so if the federal law is, you know, the floor of 725 and you can't pay less than that, and states are passing laws that establish their own floor, um, I know some states have laws where it's 860 an hour or $9 an hour, um, Typically, is that because people living in those states have a higher cost of living than other states in the U.S., or what would cause states to establish a higher floor for the minimum wage? Um, I mean, it's it really depends on the politics of the state. So um, it, it really is state-specific. So some states uh, uh, just say, hey, look, we don't think this is high enough for workers. Um for instance, there are states that have lower cost of living than Texas, but still have a higher minimum wage than in Texas. Um, so uh, it, it really just depends on the politics of the individual states. You know, there are some states that have laws that are, mo- that are more pro-employee, and then there are some states that have laws that are more pro-employer. It really just depends on really whether or not you're a red state or a blue state. And some of the states that have um, proposals to increase the legislation – Generally speaking, is that proposed increase, does that take place immediately or is that phased in over time? How does an increase to minimum wage take place once it's agreed upon? Yeah, that, that, that takes place over time. So it's not usually they'll agree on an increase to the minimum wage and it doesn't become effective for about a year later. And it's usually like a graduated increase. So they'll say, a legislature will say, uh, next year we're going to increase it by 50 cents per hour. Then the following year it's going to go up by 35 cents per hour. And then the year after that it'll go up by 25 cents per hour. So usually there is a lot of advance notice given to employers so that they can, you know, make any adjustments that they need to to, you know, um, their workforce and uh, to their employees. What do you think is driving the recent calls in different states around the country to increase the state federal, the state minimum wages? 
Uh, I think it's just uh, just the reality that the federal minimum wage is too low and that if Congress isn't going to act to protect workers, it's up to the states to act to protect the workers living in those states. Um, again, you know, the federal minimum wage where it is now has not kept up with inflation. So I, I think it's just a reality that most of the states are, are determining that, hey, this is a very low minimum wage and we have to do something to protect workers. So let's increase this rate. Some of the states have minimum wage laws where the minimum wage automatically goes up based on inflation in that area. Is there any benefit to having that kind of inflationary factor built into the federal minimum wage? Um, yeah, I think that would be a great. I mean, I think that's something that would be really good. So if the value of the dollar is changing, then it would make sense that the amount that we pay workers um, per hour would also change depending on the change in the dollar. So it just seems like those two are, you know, intertwined. And when one goes up or down, the other should go up or down. So this might seem like a simple question, but we really are going to step through it this at this level. Um, what are the potential positives of an increased minimum wage for employees? So what are, what is the the gain? Um, well, okay. So if, if employees have a higher minimum wage, then obviously they have, um, then their take home every day is going to be more. And that essentially could drive the economy because now they're spending more money, which if they're spending more money on goods, that means those companies that sell goods need more workers to, um, to satisfy the demand. So putting more money into the pocket of consumers will help the economy by creating essentially more, more jobs, which a lot of people who are against the minimum wage will say, you know, it'll actually kill jobs. But uh, I think all the studies show that increasing the minimum wage because it's already so low will essentially just have the effect of putting more money in people's pockets so that they can go spend more money. So not only does it increase their immediate quality of life, but it can stimulate the economy of the community or state they live in because they have more real wages to spend on milk or, you know, milk on Saturday and movies on Sunday. Exactly. That's Are there any negatives to the employee of an increased minimum wage? Um, well, so here's, here's the big picture. The, the disparity between, um, the lowest paid worker in a, in a called a Fortune 500 company, and the CEO salary right now is the largest disparity we've ever seen in U.S. history. So you're so right. So the gap I mean, is bigger than it's ever been before. It's the gap. It's, it's bigger than it's ever been. So if you go back to the 50s, uh, and when we had this great economy with a budget surplus, and everybody had homes, and there were no issues, and we had this tremendously strong middle class. The gap between the lowest paid worker in a company and the CEO of the company was about 10 to 1. Well, I think the average gap now between what the lowest paid worker in a Fortune 500 company is and the CEO, the average is about like a thousand to one or more. So the gap has just increased. So, um, I think if you increase the minimum wage and you increase the amount of money that the workers are taking home, obviously that could uh, affect the profit of a company. But, you know, if you take that from the CEO's pay and you, use, you reduce the CEO's pay and give that back to the workers, well, then that has a benefit for everybody. So a lot of people would assume 
that there are negatives for increasing minimum wage to the business itself. What would you expect a business to express concerns about if, uh, you know, that community or state was was considering increasing the minimum wage? I mean, you know, if your workforce, if the cost of labor increases, that, that could have an effect on the price of the goods. So if before it cost you $1 to make a widget and now it um, costs you $1.20 to make a widget, um, that could drive up the price of the widget. So there could be some sort of there could be some inflationary pressure on companies to increase prices if the amount of uh, if the amount of their workforce uh, the amount of their labor cost then goes up. But at the same time though, now you have workers who then have additional resources to then go spend money on those higher widgets which then stimulates more growth in the economy. So you know, I think overall the studies have shown that increasing the minimum wage stimulates the economy as opposed to um, slowing it down. Are there any potential positives to businesses for an increase in minimum wage? Yeah, um, more consumers. So if more people have more money to spend, then I'm selling a, a product, and there'll be more people who will have money to buy my product. Now, if there are more people with more money, um, but because I'm paying them more money, I raised my price for producing the widget. Uh, does the, the increased price that I'm now charging, does that, is that equivalent or, um, outweigh the additional salary that people in the community have, or is it still a win-win? I think it's, you know, I think all the studies show that it's still a win-win. Um, giving more people more money in their pocket ultimately creates a win-win for everybody. I mean, those countries that have the strongest economies are those with the strongest middle class. And so providing more money to people in the middle class in this country stimulates the economy, stimulates growth, and allows companies who are selling goods to the middle class to actually sell those goods and sell more of those goods. So what we're talking about is increasing wages for the middle class, and that benefits everybody. So you feel generally speaking, that countries who have good minimum wage laws also have good middle class, which leads to uh, a strong economy and a strong quality of life? Yes, absolutely. So if you could see one change, if you could recommend one change um, to the minimum wage laws, either at the state or federal level at this point in time, what do you think would make sense to have a positive impact on the overall economy? Um, so I think that the minimum wage right now is, is still very low. And so what most states should do, if not all states, is enact laws that provide for graduated increases of the minimum wage after certain time periods. So pass a law that says every five years we will, we will look at the minimum wage, where it is in this state, and increase it depending on the increase in inflation. Um, and then we'll provide notice to employers that it's going to go up so that they can make appropriate um, adjustments, and then just have that as a law, whereas, hey, if the, the value of the dollar changes, the amount the amount of money we're going to be paying our workers, that should also change. Well, I think that's great advice and information. I have to say, Don, you've made both state and federal minimum wages sound so much less confusing and overwhelming than anything we ever heard in our Econ 101 classes. Thanks so much for being here with us today, Don. Well, thank you for having me.
Well, it's been an enlightened conversation about the impact of minimum wage, but it's time for a quick break. But don't go anywhere, because when we come back, I'm going to give you my no-spin summary of both the Democratic and Republican presidential candidates. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back here on Current. Are you a first-time contestant who wants to make sure you're ready to answer any question? Or are you an experienced contestant who's frustrated because your interview score does not reflect your true title holder potential? Well, I'm here to share with you the biggest secret about what's holding you back from getting a top interview score. It's that most contestants don't know how to practice their interview skills correctly, so they struggle through marathon practice sessions, participate in mock interviews that actually increase frustration and decrease skills, or they just completely give up and wing it. But I've developed a full proof system for you to use that will teach you how to practice your interview so you can deliver great answers with poise and confidence in both the interview room and on stage. This is going to be the best money you've ever spent on preparing for your pageant competition. So visit my website at ValerieHayes.com and click on the interview questions tab and get started towards your winning interview score today. Top contestants around the country have discovered the secret for creating a winning look. It's the Royal Wee Boutique. Former international pageant title holder Lane Berry will create a personalized, iconic competition look that establishes you as an elite contestant but doesn't drain your pocketbook. Lane has dressed evening gown winners in state, local, and national competitions of all the major pageant systems. Whether you visit in person or take advantage of their premier long-distance styling services, Lane will guide you through the steps of expressing yourself with a cohesive image that wows the judges. Visit them today at royal-we.com. You're going to look fabulous. Do you feel totally confused about how to create a winning platform? Are you unsure about which topic to pick, how to make it marketable, and how to get appearances with your platform? My do-it-yourself coaching resource, Perfect Pageant Platform, teaches you everything you need to do to create a winning platform. I'll walk you through the steps it takes to develop a platform that impresses the judges every time. So visit my website today at ValerieHayes.com and click on the Pageant Platform tab to get started on your winning platform. Get a headshot that establishes you as a serious contender for the crown. Studio D Imaging does more than just snap a photo. They actually help you create your iconic look by understanding the preferred look of your pageant and helping you to express your photogenic potential. They've created winning looks for contestants competing in all the major pageant systems, and they'll create a winning look for you too. Just visit them on Facebook by searching for Studio D Imaging or visit their website at StudioDImaging.com. Contact them today and let Studio D Imaging create your perfect headshot. <laughs> 